0: Good morning. This fall, as most of you know, we are journeying through the first three chapters of the Gospel according to John. And this morning, we come to those verses that Abigail just read to us verses 9 through 15. So if you've got a Bible with you or in front of you, let me invite you and encourage you to open your Bibles there. And in our text today, we find ourselves in the middle of a conversation. Between Jesus and Nicodemus. John is the only gospel account that tells us about Nicodemus, this man. And he's introduced to us in verse 1 as a Pharisee, meaning he takes the law of God very seriously. He's introduced to us, Nicodemus is, as a ruler of the Jews, meaning he has a position of authority, a position of leadership. And he comes to Jesus at night. Why that time of day? We don't know for sure. We can speculate. But Nicodemus clearly has an agenda in this meeting with Jesus, which is that he's trying to figure Jesus out. Nicodemus is a smart man. He's a theologically educated man, intellectual man. And he's trying to figure Jesus out, particularly now Jesus is teaching about salvation so let's refresh our memory for a moment about how this conversation started last week, how Nicodemus kicked this conversation off and where Jesus took it. G- uh, Nicodemus began the conversation with flattery. He said rightfully to Jesus, Jesus, I've seen your signs, the miracles you've done, and these signs are proof that God is with you. So he's flattering Jesus, but he's, he's also right. These, these signs were proof that God was with you. With him, but Jesus wasn't impressed that Nicodemus was impressed. Jesus wanted more than his flattery, and so Jesus immediately presses Nicodemus. He wants to get at Nicodemus's heart, he wants to get at belief. So he says, in essence, to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, it's all well and good for you to be impressed by my signs, but in order for you to come into my kingdom, something has to happen to you. And that something that has to happen to you, Nicodemus, in order for you to come into my kingdom is that you must be born again. And so Nicodemus then asks his first question of Jesus in verse four, and it starts with the word how. How can a man be born again? Can he enter a second time into his kingdom? mother's womb. And Jesus responds again by pressing him again, going for belief again. And he says to Nicodemus as clear as day, you have to be born again. And unless you're born again by water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so there's this conversation now between Nicodemus and Jesus. Nicodemus keeps asking and Jesus keeps answering And that's where we find ourselves today. Nicodemus is trying to figure Jesus out. Specifically, this whole teaching of salvation, of of being born again. And what he wants to know is how. How can this new birth happen? And the good news for Nicodemus and for us, thanks to God's word, is that Jesus is going to tell him and us how. I don't know about you, but... I was not the kind of kid in school who liked to raise his hand very much and ask questions. Looking at some of you, trying to figure out who among you were the kind of people to ask questions a lot. And who among you are the people like me who were happy to sit on the back row and let other people ask the questions for them. But I was the kind of person who was very happy to sit on the back row and wait, even if I had no idea what the teacher or professor was saying, wait for someone else to raise their hand and ask the question on my behalf, or oftentimes on the whole class's behalf. And that's Nicodemus this morning. That's Nicodemus in this story, is we can see Nicodemus, in a sense, asking asking these questions on our behalf. He's asking Jesus a question that all of us wonder about, or that we should wonder about. And his thought process seems to be something like this. I'll pretend to be Nicodemus for a moment. Something along the lines of this. Nicodemus is saying, Jesus, let me get this straight. You're saying, Jesus, that person A is by nature, by birth, outside of the kingdom of God. And in order for person A to be saved... To be brought into the kingdom, person A has to be spiritually born again, has to go through a second birth, be born of what Jesus said water and the spirit. Okay, so when that happens to person A, Nicodemus is saying to Jesus, you're saying he becomes person B. And he becomes person B by believing in person C. And you're saying, Jesus, that your person C and that belief in you causes person A to be immediately and forever spiritually reborn into person B so verse 9 Nicodemus raises his hand in the front row and asks for all the kids like me in the back row how can these things be can a fisherman, can a Pharisee, can a preacher's kid, can an alcoholic, can a prostitute, can an atheist, can a persecutor of Christians, can these kinds of people and more be reborn from person A to person B because of faith in person C? Is that what you're saying, Jesus? And, and, and are you saying, Jesus, that your person see? Yes. That's exactly what Jesus is saying and teaching here in John 3. Faith in him, belief in him, brings rebirth. So the million dollar question, thanks to Nicodemus, is how can these things be? How can these things be? Glad you asked, Nicodemus. It's a good question, isn't it? How can these things be? When Nicodemus talks about things here, what he's getting at are, one, the rebirth of a person by water and the Spirit. Rebirth. And second, the transfer of a person from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Let's get clear how these things happen. And that's what our teacher, Jesus, explains to us this morning. For yourself or for anyone who, like Nicodemus, is trying to figure this out, our text is a good place to start. We get clarity here from Jesus. How can these things be? Lesson number one from Jesus is that Jesus' witness must be received. So after hearing Nicodemus' question, Jesus presses him. He gets to the heart again in verses 10 and 11. Jesus answered him. And I love how Jesus's answer is a question. It's just so classic Jesus (laughs) to answer with a question. Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen but you do not receive our testimony. So Jesus lays the groundwork here for understanding how the new birth happens. And it starts with receiving the witness of Jesus. So Nicodemus here in this moment, like many other people who've come before him and after him, was getting hung up on this idea of being born again. Maybe you've gotten hung up, hung up on this. The idea of somehow person A because of belief in person C becoming person B. So Jesus, again, sees into people. We've already seen that in the Gospel of John. And he sees into Nicodemus here, and he basically says, you can imagine Jesus with a little sparkle in his eye looking at this great teacher. And he says, oh, great teacher. Oh, wise one, let's go back to kindergarten for a moment. Let's review basic lesson number one for a moment, Nicodemus. And lesson number one is this, Nicodemus, or you or me, receive the witness of God, which is right before your very eyes in the person, in the revelation of the Son of God. Jesus is, the prologue taught us this, and we've seen this now, Jesus is himself the incarnate revelation Jesus is the incarnate witness, incarnate testimony of God. So what that means is, before we ever get to anything Jesus says, before we get to his teaching, his spoken revelation, we have to first stop and look at the person. Just look at the person. Question, Is he God? If the answer is no, then ignore everything he says. Because he's crazy. And he's dangerous. And there is no spiritual rebirth through him. But if the answer is yes, Jesus is God, then receive everything he has to say. And then there is spiritual rebirth through him so here's what this means then for seekers like Nicodemus or like you for skeptics it means that before you wrestle with the teachings of Jesus you first have to wrestle with the person of Jesus who is he what is he if he's not God then ignore him if he is God then you've got to receive his witness. Now, also, notably, this is also clear in our text this morning, Jesus doesn't differentiate between his witness, see this, and the witness of his disciples. They're one and the same for Jesus here. His witness is the witness of his disciples, and the witness of his disciples is his witness. They're connected. He uses the word we hear, we speak in verse 11 of what we know. Bear witness to what we have seen. You do not receive our testimony. When I first was wrestling with this this week, I thought perhaps he's speaking trinitarianly there, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But what Jesus is saying is he stands in solidarity with his disciples. There is no separation between the witness of Jesus and the witness of his disciples. So here's what this means for his disciples. First, it means good news of great confidence that Jesus considers his testimony our testimony and vice versa. But on the flip side, this means for the disciples of Jesus, for the church of Jesus, we better keep a close watch on our witness. Our number one priority as the church must be to present to the world as clearly as possible our witness of Jesus unfiltered. God forbid that we become a people or we become a church that Jesus wants no association with. And this happens when our witness is anything other than Jesus himself then he's not going to speak in the plural anymore. You tracking with me here? The more we distance our witness from Jesus, should make the church tremble, the more he distances his witness from us. Our witness is Christ and Christ alone. And when that is true about us, then his witness is our witness and vice versa. So lesson one, his witness must be received. Stop and look and consider the person. Here's lesson two from our teacher, Jesus. His words must be believed. If we've received the witness of the person, then we have to believe the words of the person. Verses 12 through 13, look with me. Jesus says, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So let's unpack a few things here in Jesus' question to Nicodemus and his claim to Nicodemus because it may seem at first glance like Jesus is dancing around the question from Nicodemus but he's not. What Jesus is doing here, again, is pressing, getting to the heart of belief. So first with a question and second with a claim. His question is this. If I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And in this question to Nicodemus, in one fell swoop, Jesus dignifies the question of Nicodemus. But he also, in that very moment, reveals the hurdle in the heart of Nicodemus. Jesus loves skeptics. Jesus loves hard questions. But Jesus knows the heart of the skeptic. Jesus knows the heart of the questioner better than that person knows themselves, And Jesus shows that here in how he asks this question of Nicodemus. He dignifies it by essentially repeating back to Nicodemus what Nicodemus is really trying to say at a deeper level. So what Nicodemus is saying is that he's having a hard time with the earthly things Jesus is telling him about that a person has to be born again. And Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, I'm using an earthly analogy. I'm using earthly wording, terminology about birth. And you're having a hard time with this, I get that. But because of that, Nicodemus, how are you going to have an easier time with the heavenly things I have to tell you, which are the source of the earthly things. So he sees into the heart and he points out the hurdle. Nicodemus is so close. You can feel it in this chapter. He's so close. Maybe like some of you this morning, so close. Or like someone you know. But at the same time, he's so far. And it's a hurdle in his heart, and the hurdle is the hurdle of simple belief in the words that Jesus is saying. And so this leads to Jesus' claim in verse 13. He says this, Nicodemus, no one has ascended into heaven except he, me, Jesus, who descended from heaven, the son of man. Here's the claim. He's laying down his business card on the table. Jesus is putting his credentials down to prove that he has the authority to speak into the things that Nicodemus wants him to speak into. And he's saying this I can speak about these heavenly things, O seeker. I can speak of the source of new birth. I can speak of the source of salvation. I can speak of eternal life in heaven and the divine realities of heaven and eternal life and the eternal kingdom of heaven because I am from heaven. I can speak about it because I've been there. I'm from there. He says in verse 13, I have ascended into and descended from heaven. Now keep in mind that when Jesus said this, it was before his crucifixion and resurrection and ascension. So when he refers here in verse 13 to the ascension in the past tense, what he means is that heaven is where he's from. Heaven is his home. Jesus can speak about heavenly things. He, he can answer Nicodemus's question and your question, how can these things be? With exclusive authority, because he is from heaven. And he refers to himself here, this is important, in verse 13, he refers to himself again as the son of man, son of man. When was the last time in this book that Jesus referred to himself that way? It was at the end of chapter one, verse 51, when he told Nathanael, that he was the fulfillment of Jacob's ladder. So here's what Jesus said in that verse, 151. Jacob, I'm sorry, Nathaniel, you will see the angels of God ascending and descending on who? The son of man. So it seems as though when Jesus uses that title, whether it was with Nathaniel or here with Nicodemus, he's reminding us that he's, The mode of not only communication between heaven and earth, also the mode of transportation between heaven, the top of the ladder, and earth, the bottom of the ladder. Jesus is saying, I am the top and the bottom and the middle of the ladder. I am the ladder. And so because I am the ladder, Nicodemus, I have the authority to speak of earthly things and heavenly things. Jesus is the latter, so he knows what he's talking about. I could not tell you the first thing about the streets of Paris, because I've never been there, never in my life. I could not tell you about the cuisine in Juneau, Alaska. I've never been there. But I can tell you about the streets of Fairfax, Not so much Burke, but Fairfax. Because I live here. It's my home. I can tell you about the cuisine of the South and how no one in Northern Virginia seems to understand what sweet tea is really supposed to be. It's supposed to be sweet enough that you can pour that stuff over waffles if you want to. And I know that because I'm from the South. I can speak with authority on the cuisine of the South, because I'm from the South. And so when I speak of somewhere where I've lived, that's been my home, you can trust my words because I know what I'm talking about. I was thinking this past week of one of my dad's favorite stories from when he was in seminary at uh, VTS, Virginia Theological Seminary in the 1970s with Martin Menz, who's gonna be preaching here at the end of uh, November, by the way. But they were in a class one time on the gospels And uh, the professor was raising all sorts of questions and doubts about the authority of scripture, the trustworthiness of scripture. And so he asked the students, how can we really know what Jesus said? How can we really know the words of Jesus in the Bible? And Martin's hand shot up and the professor called on him and he said, um, by the red letter edition? (laughs) How is it possible that a dead person, dead to God, can be made alive to God? How is it possible that a person running from God can have their life turned around and instead run after God? It happens when that person receives the witness of Jesus And it happens when that person believes the red letter words of Jesus. Jesus can speak of salvation from God because he himself is God and is from God. Here's our final lesson from our teacher Jesus about how this new birth happens. And it happens because Jesus' work must be achieved. This is the grounds and the anchor of everything that Jesus is teaching here, the work that he must achieve. And he uses an Old Testament reference here, speaking to Nicodemus from the book of Numbers. Jesus knows his audience. He knows he's speaking to a Jewish scholar, well-educated. So he uses a reference in the book of Numbers that Nicodemus would have known very well. here's the context from the book of Numbers, chapter 21. God's people are wandering in the wilderness. They've become increasingly hard-headed, hard-hearted, rebellious, ungrateful, and they're under God's discipline for it. So Numbers 21 verse six tells us that, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And then as you read the rest of that chapter as it goes on, God's people bring their repentance to Moses, Moses brings the people's repentance to God and God gives them a sign of salvation. And the sign of salvation is in the form of a bronze serpent. And Moses is told to lift up the bronze serpent so that when a man or a woman is bitten by a serpent, he or she can look to the bronze serpent high aloft on a pole and be saved. They can look... And live. So Jesus says to Nicodemus in our text, starting in verse 14: As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. There's that Son of Man again, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Here's how the new birth happens. Here it is. Here's how person A can become person B. It happens because person C, Jesus, is not just a sign, like the sign of the bronze serpent, or the sign of the water from the rock, or the sign of the manna. Jesus is not just a sign. Jesus is himself salvation. The bronze serpent lifted on a pole is a sign, but the sign can't save. So Jesus says, he must be lifted up. And the, and the word there in the original for lifted up is not just a mechanical word for lifting something up. It's a profound word. A, it's a glorious word for exalting something in glory. So Jesus says to Nicodemus, I must be exalted in glory upon the cross because when I am lifted up in glory upon the cross, I am not just a sign. I am salvation. Jesus says the sign can't save. Only God can save. So he's telling Nicodemus and he's telling us, you're looking at the true and greater and perfect and final bronze serpent. You're looking at the one who will be lifted up on a pole. You're looking at the sign and the salvation. So what's this mean for the church? What's this mean for us going forward from that moment from the cross? I think of Acts chapter 16 when the Philippian jailer asks Paul and Silas this incredible question What must I do to be saved? How do they respond? Simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Romans 10, verse 9, Paul writes this If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you hear that gospel assurance this morning? That confidence? Five words that can forever change your life. Five words that can forever change your destiny. You will be saved. Is that five words or four words? You will be saved. Hallelujah. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I should have asked more questions in school. (laughs) This is the rock solid promise of Jesus. It's rock solid. You will be saved. Believe in him, the one who is your salvation. And what happens is true in that moment is that you are chained from person A. To person B, be, all because of Christ. How can these things be? That's the question. How can these things happen? How can a person be transferred into the kingdom of God? Ultimately, it happens because Jesus makes it happen. Jesus makes it happen. And so, as succinctly as I can put it, Christ achieves, therefore we receive. Christ achieves, therefore we believe. So if you've been born again this morning, look to the cross, look to Jesus, and praise his name. But if, if you've not been born again, look to Jesus and believe. Because if you've not been born again, you're in the wilderness right now, and you've been bitten by the serpent, and you're slowly dying. Look to Jesus, lift it up. Believe so that by believing, you may have life in His name. God, we thank you and praise you for your revelation in the person of Jesus Christ and that Jesus came just like he was doing in this story to seek and save the lost father by your spirit would you lead us afresh or lead us for the first time to see and to believe we ask in Jesus name amen